Last Sunday, uh, we started to talk about this idea of being the, the underground church. What, what would your faith look like if, if we lived in a place where our faith was under persecution? And we looked at some modern day examples of that, and, and I hope we asked some questions to get us thinking along those lines. And, and, and we'll be continuing that thought process all through, throughout this year. Matter of fact, uh, in just a few weeks, we're going to start talking about the idea of brotherhood. Uh, you know, th- this idea that, that instead of, uh, I go to church with that person, that's not really sufficient. That's not really anything that's going to hold any sort of water if we come into a place where, where, we, where, 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 where our faith is being put to the test. We're going to need to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a whole lot more than a title. Just a preview of, of where we're going. But all that being said, listen, if, if we don't have a clear understanding of who we are, of what we stand for, of what that New Testament church looks like, well, then, then who really cares if it's underground or not? Who really cares if it continues or not, right? I mean, so, so we, we have to have this understanding of who are we? What, what are we about? What do we stand for? And these are conversations that we have on a very regular basis here. I hope that you know that. I hope that you acknowledge that. I hope that you've reflected upon those things. But I want that to be what, what, what we do this morning. You, you, you know the text there in John chapter 11 because it, it all centers around John the Baptist, right? And not when he was, you know, locusts and wild honey and, 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 and not when he had thousands of followers, but, but he's in prison, and as he's in prison, as he finds himself in this incredibly difficult place of his life, guess what happened to the rest of the world? Well, the rest of the world moved on, right? Because even when we're in difficult times, the world doesn't stop. And sometimes we wish it would, but it just doesn't. And, but because of that, John was, you know, he was asking a lot of questions. And this was a hard thing for him, just like it's a hard thing for us. And so he's in, he's in prison, and Jesus is out there with, with his disciples, and you, you know he sends his messengers to ask, to ask you know, are, are, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And th- th- this always, I mean, just kind of blows my mind, because the guy asking this question is the one who proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God, right? There he is. He was actually there. He baptized Jesus and when the Spirit descended and the voice of God descended from the heavens, right? I mean, it wasn't like he didn't have some good evidence. He's still struggling. Well, he's struggling because of where he's at in his life. And so that's why he's asking this question. And, and Jesus, Jesus answers and he says, you know, go and tell. Go report to John's uh, what you hear and what you see. And Jesus begins to go down this laundry list of all the things that he's doing, Right? You know, uh, go and tell him how the, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the, the, the poor ha- have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. So the evidence that Jesus gives to John, who's rotting away in a prison cell, is I want you to go back to John and tell him about all the things that I'm doing for other people. Right? That's tough. And, and, and Jesus acknowledges that. That's what He's saying when He says, listen, blessed is the person who doesn't stumble over Me. Blessed is the person who doesn't stumble simply because 
the things in life are not going the way that they expect them to, or that we want them to, or that we feel like we have a right to, to think that they will. That, that's what he's saying. Look at the evidence. Look at the truth. And so this is kind of the backdrop for, for where we're getting to. And Jesus uses this, this as, as an, an opportunity. The, the disciples of John, they, they, they go on their way, and, and Jesus turns, turns to the crowd, and, and He starts to ask them a question. Of course, you know, John is pretty famous. Uh, John is about as famous as Jesus. And, I mean, we talk about thousands of followers. That's more than any of us in this room have, right? I'm not counting Facebook friends as, as true followers uh, of you in your life. Uh, I mean, thousands of people had left everything to, to actually follow Him. And John was also quite a polarizing character, wasn't he? Right? I mean, you just kind of bring up his name. I mean, he's the one that's like, he's calling people snakes from the pulpit. I mean, that, 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 that's polarizing, isn't it? I mean, there, there were some people who were like, yeah, they're a bunch of snakes, tell them how it is. And then there were other people who were like, what did he just call us? Right? I mean, this, he was polarizing. And so Jesus uses this as an example because he wants them to think. And, and he, he asks them this question. That this is Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Like, why, why did you go out into the wilderness to see John? What were you expecting there? A reed shaken by the wind? What, what, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. It, it, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty fair question, isn't it? He goes on to say, but... What did you go out to see? I think about this question a lot when I think about uh, what we preach, about, about what, what we ought to teach in our Bible classes, about what, what we ought to preach from, from this pulpit. You, you, have you ever felt like, um, you ever had these moments in your life where you, you felt like you were going through the motions? I think we probably all have struggled with that. Well, we'll, we'll news, news flash for you. Sometimes preachers can just go through the motions. Like, I know how to satisfy the requirement of preaching a sermon this morning, right? And a true sermon at that. I know how to do that, and I could probably even get a couple compliments on the way, right? Um, maybe not from some of you from looks on your faces right now, but, but I, I think I could probably do that. I've got enough experience at this. And, and you have to say, no, 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 no. This is not about going through the motions. Like, this is meaningful time. This is, this is purposeful time. You didn't come to Bible class this morning to just go through the motions. And, and I hope and I pray that your Bible class teachers, I have great confidence, didn't just come prepared to help you go through the motions. If that's all we're doing, let's sleep an extra hour or let's not even be here at this moment. That, 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 that thought process of what are we doing here? What do you expect to hear this morning? I hope you're asking that question. I know I ask that question on a very regular basis. Jesus answers it for them about John, a prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. See, these were people who went out to see a prophet. I'm, I'm giving my time and my energy, and, and I'm focused in right now because I want to hear a message from God. 
None of you are here this morning because you, you want uh, words from West, wisdom from West. It makes a pretty good little title on a, on a bulletin article, but that's not what you're here for. You're not here to, to, to figure out, so what does Miss Becky think about this? All, those may be interesting things. That's not what we're gathered together for. That's not why they went out into the wilderness. They didn't just go out to see the show. They went out to see a prophet, someone who had a message from God, someone who had the truth. That's what has to come from our pulpits. As you evaluate this pulpit, as I evaluate this pulpit, or other pulpits that you will be a part of throughout your life, you need to be evaluating based on that criteria. Am I hearing a message from God? Or am I just going through the motions? That's a, that's a really fair question. There are a lot of unfair questions that sometimes are asked uh, in, in, in the church, but that's a fair one. That's a really good one. Listen, there, there are a lot of people who, who have the idea that, that if, we, if we preach like John preached, and I'm not going to call people snakes this morning or anything like that, you brood of vipers, I, that's, I'm probably not going to, unless I'm forced to, and I don't think I'm going to be forced to get to that point this morning. But, but this idea that, that, sometimes people have this idea that, that if we say anything that, that is challenging to people, that people will, will, will reject it. Yes, there are many people who, who will reject challenging things. I've struggled with challenging things in my own life. But the reality is, I simply don't believe that people won't come if we preach the truth. I believe that's one of the, that's one of the things that we so desperately need in order to grow the church. I believe that there, that there are people in this world who want the truth. That we must proclaim God's Word with love and compassion it must be preached. I believe those are the only things that can actually save our soul. I think I'm talking to a group of people who won't settle for anything less. And I also believe there is a lot of good soil. I believe there are a lot of, there's a lot of good soil in this room. You remember what Jesus talks about when He talks about good soil? He says it's soil that when you plant the seed in it, it brings forth life. It's not, it's not, there's rocky soil, yeah, there's that in the world. There, there, there's thorny soil, right? There, there's the barren soil. There, there's all of these things, but there's also good soil. I think there's probably good soil in, in people that, that you know, and people that you're related to, and people that you love. Now, I'm not saying that everyone is right about everything, not even in this room, but I am saying that we, that we want to be pleasing to God. And part of, part of our role is to proclaim those things. That actually come from God. I, I, I decided a long time ago, and this has cost me at times in my life, okay? It's cost me financially, it's cost me emotionally, it's cost me at times maybe even physically. But we got a lot better things to do than just to waste our time here this morning. And so, and so we, we want to challenge I want to challenge myself. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge the world. Stop thinking about anyone else. Then you think about yourself. See, my goal is not to challenge them. My goal is to challenge you. It's easy for you to say, yeah, yeah, somebody needs to preach a sermon over there for, you know, for, for, for Miss Nancy to hear. She needs to hear that. Maybe so. But I'm not asking you all to think about Miss Nancy this morning. I'm asking you to think about you. Not just this morning, every morning. Thank you for being my example, right? 
Jack, we'll talk about Nancy's thing later. But the, 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 the idea, I know she's smiling under that mask. Making me nervous. I can't tell if somebody's smiling or not when they got, but yeah, I can see it in the eyes. That's good. That's good. So, so what, what I want us to do this morning, I want us to think about some things and say, so, so what do we stand for? So, so, so what do we teach? So what do we believe? So, so what are we here for? And I'm going to go quickly through these things. These are all things that we have talked about before. But I think it's important. I think it's important for us to spend some time talking about these things that in our world can be controversial, but they ought not be controversial here. They may have more depth than, than I will cover this morning, but that doesn't negate what, what we're saying here or negate the fact that we ought to continue to discuss these things. Can I, I'm going to run quick, so if, if, I, if I don't hit it as hard as you'd like, let's talk after services, okay? The first one. Abortion. We live in a world, we live in a society, we live in a country, unfortunately, that is highly committed both by our own laws and our practices to a form of mass murder. The latest statistics I could find were from 2018 said that there were over 619,000 legally induced abortions reported to the CDC. It is a modern holocaust of babies that are being murdered in the womb. And that when we open up God's Word, there is little doubt, there is no doubt, that the, that, that the Word of God considers life to be of value, not just when it's out of the mother's womb, but even when it's in the mother's womb. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, the law says, If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, let no harm follow. But, but no harm follow, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband that imposes on him. And he shall pay as the judge determines. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. It is a life. And anyone who has ever had a premature child, I'll raise my hand on that. I'm going to tell you, it's alive. And it's not an it. It's a she. It's a her. It's a life. And if, you, if you're not convinced on that issue, then I would challenge you to go and actually watch what abortion really is. It's horrific. If you are convinced, please don't go and look because it's horrific. It will give you nightmares at night. Those things go on every single day in our world and in our culture, and they are sinful. I want to be really clear about that. I, did, I was asked an interesting question a couple, a couple weeks ago. Um, no, it was something I read. It wasn't actually asked directly, but it was something I read. But, but someone was asking the question of me. He said, he said, what are we doing to help prevent the murder of children except praying that the law of our land is changed? That was a pretty good question. I got to thinking about this. You know the law of our land? Do you, do you know how long our, our law has legalized the murder of children in the womb? Longer than I've been alive. So, so if I'm going to be outraged, and I ought to be, I, I, and, and, and we, this, even the slide that you see before you talked about this in the context of politics and how politics affect those things, I, I think, I know, that we need to be thinking about how can we end this purge upon our land as the church in some other way than changing the law. I'm all for changing the law, but I don't think that that's the end of this conversation because obviously that's not working. Some 45 years later, it's not working. We, we, we think about grace. We, we, we believe in grace. Not grace alone, but grace with a period at the end of it. 
Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Sometimes people will make accusations about being legalistic. And there's a whole sermon for we can talk about what exactly that means. But at the core of it, it is this idea that somehow, somehow we don't believe in the grace of God. That's a lie. That's a lie. And anyone who, is, who would say such a thing hasn't been listening to the words that have come from this pulpit, hasn't been listening to the words that have come forth from countless numbers of Bible studies, from countless numbers of individuals in this congregation. The Bible teaches us that grace is about God. To focus on man is to miss the point. We have some really great people in this room th- this morning. We have some great people in this church. No one, no one is great enough to be saved based upon your own merit. No, no, not one, the Bible would say. We are saved. We are saved by the grace of God. Through faith, yes, but that doesn't mean that I get to boast about what I've done. When I'm baptized into Christ, I don't somehow put God into my debt. I haven't done this great deed that now He's obligated to give me this thing. That's not what the Bible teaches. It would be like, it would be like turning over to Hebrews chapter 11 when, when the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho and the text says that they fell by faith. And when those walls fall, for, for, for me to stand back and say, well, look what I did. Well, what did, what did you do? You marched around the wall once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day, and then you shouted? Now, that had to be done. But do you really think that's what made the walls fall down? If it is, I'm going to, I'm going to open up a construction company focusing in demolition. I don't even need a bulldozer. I'm just telling you, that's not how walls fall. These walls fell by the power of God. Our salvation is based upon God and the grace of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And to say otherwise, to say otherwise would be wrong. Moving along. The topic of social drinking. The Bible is so clear about these things. We can get into the gray issues, but really it is the clear things that we need to spend time with. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And those and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Told you before, I'm just going to camp. I'm going to camp out there. If you want to debate on these issues, that's just not very smart. It will make a fool out of you. And I can, I can give you, and if our eyes are open, numerous numbers of people whose lives have been impacted by these things. I do not understand. I do not understand why, when we live in a world that is constantly trying to warn us that these are not things to be played around with. There are billboards on the interstates that say, what do they say? Buzzed driving is what? Drunk driving. Is that sponsored by the Ministerial Association? It's not. It's sponsored by very worldly people who are dealing with the very real world results of these things. Wine's a mocker. Does that mean that, that, that are there certain places and instances where it would be appropriate? Yes. Of course, even, even those things that, that are laid forth in the text, we've had those conversations. But these are not things to be played around with. Even the text from 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. 
He describes these things as the will of the Gentiles. It's just the way worldly people live. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness, I'm not even talking about drunkenness at this point, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable, abominable idolatries. That, that understanding of drinking parties. I think there was some talk of this even in Bible class on Wednesday night, right? And, and that idea of what is that drinking party. I would just define it as, listen, it's any gathering where the absence of alcohol would have a notable absence. I, I think that's a fair definition. It, it's any sort of gathering where, where, where people would show up to and they would say, why, why are we not drinking here? Are, are there places like that? Absolutely there are. And we've given examples of those things. Maybe some specifics. I, I don't know. If you want to talk about this further, then come and talk, and we'll talk about specifics. In, in a, in a, I'm not calling anybody out from this pulpit. We don't do that. But, but let, me, let, let, let me give some, some general specifics. Teens, when somebody's parents are out of town or working late, and somebody says, come over, and they start, and they start getting out the beers or the whatever, that's sinful. That's going to come. That's going to come. Is that old, people who are older than teens, is that going to come for them? Parents, is that, that is going to come. That's sinful. Christians walk away from those things. Have no mistake about that. When you may be slightly older, let's not just talk about our teenagers, let's talk about those who actually can do these things legally because our world has said these things are legal and we want to go watch the ball game and we want to go up to Buffalo Wild Wings and we want to set the table up with alcoholic drinks. That's, that's not okay for Christians. That's not how Christians live. That's not how Christians act. Take it out of the social, out of the complete public setting. When, when, when a group of married friends want to get together and, and we want to involve alcohol in those things, that's not okay. Why? Let me give you examples. Because wine is a mocker. It will cause problems. Not intended problems. We wouldn't do it if it was intended. I want us to have some clarity on these things. Not muddiness on these things. We talk about the subject of racism. Galatians 3 and verses 26-28. I told you I'm going quickly through these things, right? But, but Paul says in Galatians 3 and verse 26-28, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We live in a world that is being torn apart by the inability of races to coexist. Y'all feel that? I feel it every day. It's being torn apart. People losing their minds talking about these issues. And when we open up the Word of God, we see that the church is supposed to be this place where people come together as one. Doesn't mean everybody becomes like me. Doesn't mean I become like you. It means we become one in Christ. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, and your grandma or your grandpa says, I just, we don't eat with people like that, you say, well, we do because we're Christians. Didn't they have that in the first century church? Didn't they have these struggles? Number one issue in the first century church. This is not 2020 new stuff. Number one issue in the first century church, Jew-Gentile relationships. You read the epistles. And for all the stuff that, 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 that they talk about, I mean, it's ad nauseum. So if, we, if we're looking for a resource as to how to deal with the mess that we see in our world today, listen, 
This is it. The only answer is Jesus Christ and His church. The issues that are facing our nation today in regards to race will never, listen to me, they will never be overcome unless the church deals with these issues first. Because we're the only hope. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons that I love this congregation so much. Because there are so many different races and nationalities and backgrounds that are represented in this room. Does that give us issues sometimes that other congregations don't have? You better believe it does. But that's okay. That's what the church is supposed to look like. It is only in His church. It is only in the church of Jesus Christ that we are taught that when we look at another man, we're looking at someone made in the image of God. Whatever their skin color may be, whatever their economic status may be, whatever, their, whatever our culture may dictate. Whatever our culture is saying, you need to know this about this person. No, no, no. God says, this is someone made in my image. You treat them that way. It is only in His church that we are taught that we cannot mistreat others and be right with our Heavenly Father. Don't think you can, you, you, you can mistreat people and God's going to be okay with it. You mistreat my kids, you're going to have an issue with their daddy. God's pretty clear about that. It is only in His church that we are taught that, that God's truth trumps any experience I may harbor in my heart. You know those things that we've heard all of our life? Those jokes, those comments, those, those sayings. Don't just look across the aisle. Okay, I've heard these things coming both ways. I've heard these things coming both ways. And in His church, we find those things are not appropriate. And those things are sinful. Because it is only in His church that we find that we have a common need. We need a Savior. And that Savior makes us one in His body, the church. It's not a white church. It's not a... It's not a brown church. It's not a black church. It's a church that is red in the blood of Jesus Christ. The world needs to hear that. That's what we stand for. That's light in darkness. We come to the issue of LGBTQ+. Right? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. We live in a world, if you watch the news this week, if you watch the news this week, you saw the nomination of Rachel Levine as an assistant for the Secretary of Health in our federal government. She would become, he would become, I don't even know what to say, the first openly transgender federal official. I'd put a picture on the screen, but I don't want to scare people. It's just a man dressed in a wig pretending to be a woman. That's not in the back alleys. That's not in the back alleys. That's at the forefront of our nation. Even this week, our president issued an executive order on Wednesday night to extend existing federal non-discrimination protections to LGBTQ people. Please understand how that word discrimination has been hijacked and be mad about it, be upset about those things. This legislation is not, is not to say we shouldn't throw rocks at those people. It's to say that, that they have every right, every right to... to 
function in that way that everyone else does. And you have to acknowledge it. One of, one of, the, one of the country's largest LGBT advocacy, advocacy groups called it the most substantive, wide-ranging executive order concerning sexual orientation and gender identity ever issued by a United States president. Listen to part of that. This is not commentary. This is what the order says. Children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or the school or school sports. That's the world we live in. Okay? So prepare your child for that world. Prepare your child for that world. That's not a, that's not a, a nice thing to say, but that's the truth. Those things are sinful. Those things are unnatural and they are sinful. And just like these people in 1 Corinthians 6, we pray that people will repent of such activity, that they will be washed, that they will be sanctified, that they will be justified. Now, down the list, those are five things. None of those things are hard. I know that there's more to everything that I just talked about. We've spent time talking about those things in depth. We've spent time in, in, in passing. But the questions themselves, they're not hard. Every single congregation should be able to not only give an answer about those things, but they should. every congregation in my mind should be talking about these things on a regular basis because those are the pressing issues of our world. I know that there are five of many. Why did I choose these five? I chose each of these five because each of these five things are things that I have had people question what we really believe in this congregation and whether or not we actually speak those things from this pulpit. Now, that, that, that's come over the last probably four months from different sources and in different, and in different places. For my part, I want to provide some clarity. I, I get so frustrated with preachers who don't want to provide clarity. Sometimes, sometimes I, I, will, I will see congregations going through something. I say, you could solve all your problems if you get up and say this, and they won't do it. Well, to their detriment. We need to provide clarity about, about those things. Now, we don't proclaim perfection in any one of those things. As a matter of fact, I think we could proclaim struggles in almost, no, not almost, in every one of those things. But in regards to what we teach, what we call people towards, and even what we are striving to be in regards to those things, there can be and there should be no doubt about those things. As a matter of fact, I hope you noticed, just in reference to some of the questions, I didn't even make new PowerPoint. I just pulled the slides from sermons that we've already preached over and over again. We need, as a people, to do two things. We need to listen, and we need to ask. We need to listen, and we need to ask. If you find yourself in, in, in regards to a new congregation, some of you are going to grow up, you're going to move away from here, you're going to, you're going to go into congregations, and you're going to see, you're going to see Church of Christ on the, on the door out, out front. And you're going to say, good, this is just this is like what I grew up with. These are my people. And they may or may not be your people. You need to listen closely, intelligently, without assumptions. What is being said? What is not being said? And if you still have questions after that, you need to ask. What do we believe? Why, 
Why are we not doing this? Could we do this? Could we do? We need to ask all of those things. We face an insurmountable task in regards to what we teach and what we don't teach. Right? You guys, I know, I preach too long. But, but listen, sometimes we, we, we talk a long time because we have a lot to cover. But if we, want, if, we, if, we, if, we want, if we want to cover more, we're going to have to spend more time. That's the way that these things work. Not every sermon is going to be just about baptism. Do we believe that baptism is essential for the remission of sins and the life? Absolutely we do. And we ought to, and we, and we do, spend long periods of time talking about those things. So we will do that. We will make references to those things. But it will not be the primary focus of every single lesson. Even, even, if, it's, even if it's the primary thought in regards to your mind. That will not be the case. We must ask, when are we going to talk about that? What is our position? Listen, listen, and ask. These are not new issues. Matter of fact, when Jesus was talking about these things, look at the text. Jesus was constantly struggling with people being willing to listen. Not to what was being said, but sometimes focusing overly, overly of undue importance on how it was being said or saying this in the exact way that I want something to be said. Jesus said to the people, this is verse 11, or excuse me, in verse 16, where He's encouraging them to hear, let him who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children and say, and say, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We mourned for you, and you did not lament. He's saying, he's saying, Jesus is saying to his listeners, what do you want? You didn't like John because, because as he goes on, you, you, you didn't like John because he came neither eating or drinking. You, you, don't, you don't like me because I come eating and drinking. What's it going to take? You know what? I mean, it's like, well, do you, do, 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 you, do, you want, do you want us to come together and play the flute? And we can have a good time and have a real positive upbeat? Or, or man, maybe it's like a funeral possession. You're like, I'm, I'm a real serious-minded individual. And Jesus is saying, that's the problem. The problem is not with, with playing the flute or mourning. The problem is not, is not that John comes and, and he's not neither eating nor drinking. The problem is not that Jesus comes eating and drinking. The problem is... What Jesus is saying, you're missing the message. You're missing the message that's coming from God, from the prophet, because you can't get past the presentation. I believe that we need to take care in regards to our presentations. I believe in the pulpit, I constantly am striving to be aware of presentation. How are these things going to be heard? You've heard me talk about that all the time. It's not just what you say, but how, but how it's heard. That's a big deal. Jesus Himself was aware of these things. But, whether you like the presentation or not, Jesus says, whether this is in the, the mood or the mode that you want or not, don't miss the message. People will say what they're going to say, but I'm telling you this is the truth. Wisdom is justified by her children. All these things that John was telling you, all these things that I'm telling you, 
He says to these people, sometimes you're not listening, but they're still true. And they're going to be seen to be true. Are the words of John true? Are the words of John true? How do you know that? Well, wisdom is justified by her children. They have been shown to be true. Did the kingdom come? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Ah, I don't think the kingdom's coming. Yeah, it did come. Are the words of Jesus true? Are the words of Jesus true? Yeah, but how do you know that? Because He rose from the dead after three days. See, I'm just going to tell you there are a lot of people who didn't listen to the wisdom of Jesus. They rejected the things that were coming from God. And they were wrong. Yeah, but I don't like that Jesus guy. Right? I don't know how I feel about his beard. You know? Because I know he had a beard. Because everybody always talks about Carl having a Jesus beard over there. I, I, I don't know how I feel about his beard. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about John. I mean, he's calling people snakes. I don't, I don't like that. Okay, but is it true? That's what Jesus is saying in this text. See, John comes about and it's like, okay, here's an opportunity for us to talk about something bigger than John. You think we're going to talk about John in a prison. That's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how we're hearing the message that comes from God. Wisdom is justified by her children. Those things are still true today. We, we, we could expand upon the, the five things that we talked about this morning. Maybe you have a suggestion for something that, that we ought to talk about more. Great, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's engage in that conversation as, as the followers of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But let us, return, let us return to the real question. Why are we listening in the first place? Why do we care in the first place? Why did we go out into the wilderness to look and to hear. Why did you go out? To see a prophet. Yes, I say to you, one, I say to you, to one who is more than a prophet. See, I want to be gathered together around the Word and the will of God. Does that, room, does that leave room for our conversation? It insists upon it. But it pulls us together even, even when our differences would pull us apart. That we have the same Father And we have this great need to listen as individuals, yes, but as a body, as a family, as a church. I think that's what Jesus is trying to help the people to comprehend here in Matthew 11. And I pray in regards to myself that I'll do a better job at what he's saying here about listening to the voice of God. Listen, you are here this morning, and he who has ears, let him hear. Sin is a reality in our world. There, there are people who don't like to talk about sin, it's, but, but in, in doing so, they're losing the opportunity to really talk about the love and the grace of God. Sin's a reality in our world, and, and not only in our world, it's a reality in our lives. I, I need to be keenly aware of it. I need not assume that I'm not struggling with sin. Kind of a bold assumption. I know it's not true. And... I need to be in pursuit of the only person who can do something about that sin. For for some of you in this room, it means, and you are old enough to understand what I'm saying when I say that you are guilty of sin and that Jesus died for you. You can understand that. And He has come to call you to repent of your sins and to be baptized for the remission of, of, of His sins. Will you hear that? 
Will you take the time to ask a question about what you don't understand? You have to answer that. There are sinful things that infiltrate our lives as Christians. Right? The last time I sinned was not 25 years ago when I was baptized at the Shady Acres Church of Christ. I wish it was, but it wasn't. When was the last time I repented? Am I willing to repent? I'm, I'm continually impressed by the humility of people who are willing to, to repent, not just, not just in a private way, which is, can be an appropriate thing, but I'm, what I'm impressed by are people who are willing to say to the world, I do struggle, and I do need God. And what you find is that everybody already knew that, because we know that about ourselves. But are we willing? Are we willing to cast our burdens upon Him? Or will we just lumber up and try to carry them ourselves? Nobody here is that big. Nobody here is that righteous. Life is bigger than you. You haven't learned it yet. You will. Unfortunately, for some of us, over and over again. What is it that we're going out to hear? Let us hear the voice of God. He doesn't sound like this, okay? I'm just striving as John was to be a vessel. Let us listen to the voice of God that comes from the text of God's inspired word. If you have a need, you come this morning as we stand and as we sing.